opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Abraham. This is Vileen Shah, your facilitator for I Love Braille, welcoming you on September the 7th, 2023. As you all know, this program is sponsored by the East Bay Center for the Blind and supported by the American Council of the Blind. And because of this support that we receive from American Council of the Blind, our event can be heard by several people all over the nation. And of course, as you know, that our I Love Braille session is more than national, it's, it's international. So we do get people from other countries. So we have Luis here from Brazil, and we have Abraham Vasta from South Africa, and we may get some more people from other countries as well. I would like to specially give my heartiest welcome to Mr. Michael Cole, who is the president of the East Bay Center for the Blind. And it is so fitting to the occasion that I Love Braille is completing its two years today. So I think uh, Luis got some whistle to express our joy. And I'm so happy. It's such a proud moment for us that something we start with our, you know, we started with our little effort on September the 9th, 2021, has been growing and reaching out more and more people all over the world, especially the people in the United States. Therefore, I feel so happy that President Mike Cole of the East Bay Center for the Blind is here with us to talk about uh, different Braille writing devices, and he will also tell us a little more about the center. The center has made a tremendous progress under the leadership of Mr. Cole. But I would like to relate an interesting story how Mr. Cole became the president of the East Bay Center for the Blind. When I joined as a member for the East Bay Center for the Blind, the board was a little tired because of COVID, because of several other commitments and issues. Most members were not willing to continue and they were looking for more energy and uh, more, I mean, new people who can take over. At that time, I proposed to start ILO Braille and the board under the leadership of uh, Dorothy Donovell and several other members, including uh, Patricia Nash and Lori Kastner and all. They supported my move and they approved. And that's how we were able to get started with ILO Braille. Now, during that time, 
the East Bay Center had uh, appointed an advisory committee to uh, review its existence and find new blood. In October, on the first Thursday of October, our guest speaker was Mike Cole. I requested him to be our guest speaker. I do not remember what topic he spoke on, but that's another interesting part that we used to have one of our participants whose name was Mani, which is M-A-N-I, and Mani knew Mike. So Mani said that if you would like to invite Michael Cole, I said, sure, I will. And he, Michael Cole made a mistake. He agreed to be our guest speaker. And when I heard his bio, I got my eye on him to make him the president of the East Bay Center for the Blind. So I was after him and ultimately he agreed. And not only that, he agreed to be the president and lead the uh, team to take the East Bay Center out of COVID trauma, but he also agreed and decided rather to be the executive director because the current, at that time, the executive director who was Dan Santos was going to retire. So instead of hiring a new executive director, Mike has been giving his service at no charge. And he has been working, I believe, almost 60 hours a week, a retired person. Think of that. He has been working 60 hours a week for the center as the executive director, as the president, and he has been giving all his might. So kudos to Mr. Cole. I would like to hand over this mic to him, and he will talk to us about uh, different writing devices in Braille, as well as the East Bay Center for the Blind. Over to Mike. Welcome, Mike. Ha. Now Mike is on computer, but his audio is Mike muted. May need to get the gutted button. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Tell tell Abraham how to do so it. So if you press the F6 key, um, you should be able to cycle through the different areas in Zoom. And one of those areas will be a notice on the um, that this meeting is being recorded. And then you can press the tab key, the button that says got it. Um, and hitting enter or space on that key will allow you to unmute. Yeah, so Mike, you want to find the got it button, which is by so after, Yeah, after you yeah. get that got it button, just press Alt-A um, if you're on a Windows computer or Command-Shift-A if you're on a Mac to unmute. And I hope Mike is able to hear us. Um, it says his audio is connected, so I think he will, is able to hear us. I've also sent his computer a request to unmute. So, Mike, once again, uh, press F6 on the computer and then tab until you hear got it. Got it button, press the enter key. 
and you should be able to talk to us. Um, if that is problematic, perhaps you can uh, leave and rejoin. Um, and that will, uh, once you rejoin, I think the a notice that this meeting is being recorded will be in focus. Okay, so uh, I'm going to call Mike and uh, talk to him just in case if it helps. Uh, in the meantime, uh, anybody who would like to express his her uh, view about I Love Braille's second anniversary and how if at all it has benefited you, how you found it, some anything about oh, I love Braille. Hey. Uh -huh. Hey. Am I? There I Michael. am. I was having trouble unmuting myself. Correct. And they, you're not the only one. So, but <laughs> the best part is that you have been able to unmute yourself and we are talking. Welcome. Did you hear my introduction? I did. It sounded great. Yeah. All uh, right. So now the mic is yours. I will not. Mike is Mike's. I'm not going to interrupt. Okay, go ahead. All right. Well, hi, everyone. Back in October, not last October, but the one before, I my topic was really wide open. Valine said, Bra uh, Braille yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Oh, that's well, right. <laughs> talk about a wide open topic. And I was talking to Connie Skeen the other day, and she said that I talked about uh, Braille writing devices. And I worried. Uh -huh. I thought, oh, God, don't tell me I'm going to say the same thing a year later. But since that broad topic included Braille writing, I think I'm on safe ground if we can talk a little bit about Braille writing devices. Sure. And then I will talk a little about the uh, East Bay Center for the Blind Perfect. Thank you, Valine, for your kind words. I I did uh, find myself in this role. Um, and, you know, Mani, uh, who is, interestingly enough, on a listserv with, with me of blind folks who use hearing aids and have hearing issues, um, there's quite a few of us out there, especially as we get older. And uh, so I got to meet Valine, and he, as you can probably tell, is a very persistent fellow, you know. And uh, when he has his eye on something, he goes for it and uh, pushes until he knows at least how it's going to turn out. And I'm grateful to him for his support. And I'm grateful to the East Bay Center community for its support, because we really needed to get going it was either that or we were looking at a very grim future what with covid having dealt us quite a blow i'm sure that many of you in the country have uh experienced something similar uh this has been a very tough time but the good news is we are up and running and we're doing many things one of our proudest moments 
is that we are the sponsor of I Love Braille, and we are also the sponsor of a work-at-home course in Braille. We believe Braille instruction is vitally needed in the country. It enables people to have a reading and writing option that they might not otherwise have. In fact, when we talk about the business of Braille writing, let's just start with a little small historic uh, note here. Before there was an acceptance of Braille, um, there were writings, there were reading systems for blind people. They were kind of um, limited, though. The idea of sighted people was that if they could come up with a tactile system that resembled print, not only would print would sighted people be able to decipher it, but blind people would somehow feel an integrated, mainstreamed position as they learn to read. Well, so there were there was moon type and New York line type and Samuel Gridley Howe up in Massachusetts had his ideas. These were simplified print letters. Some of those systems, you would actually read it in a zigzag pattern. You'd go left to right and then drop down and go right to left. And you would use these switchbacks all the way down the page. Okay, well, it did work. Uh there were several of them, though, so if you were a graduate of one school for the blind, you might know a system. But if you were a graduate of another school for the blind, and remember, that's how blind people went to school in the 18th and 19th century. If you, well, let's say the 19th century. If you, if you did go to school, you probably were, you know, in on one of those systems. Braille came along and took a long time to be accepted in America. And partly that was because there was quite a system of these heads of schools for the blind. And they didn't see any reason to mess around with Braille. They had systems. After all, they might say, didn't I invent something? So there were egos involved. And egos involved in one central place, which was the American Pr Printing House for the Blind, which was the purveyor of stuff for blind students in the country. There's a really great history of APH. Braille was not exactly its most distinguished feature back in those days. They were, by virtue of their ex officio trustees, somewhat held back from really embracing Braille. But they finally did. And just to put in a nice word for APH, they embraced Braille, they embraced transcription, they embraced innovation. APH is a wonderful, wonderful part of our society. And I, I, I had a wish that somebody would put up a huge grant so that all the people could get a chance to see it it's a it's an amazing place it's in many ways a place dedicated to our issues and they do it beautifully um okay back in the 1800s i mean if we think about louis braille 
and he designed the system. Of course, he had to, it, since it was not based on drawing lines, but on dots, it was a system that enabled us not only to read, but to write. Those early systems, the moon type and all that, there was no way to write with those. You could just read it. Well, that's great, but goodness, you got to be able to write too. Braille and enabled us to write. And we had what we call slates and styluses back in the 1800s. Now, if there's anybody on this the webinar today who doesn't know what we mean by slates and styluses, just broadly, you got to poke holes to make Braille. And you can't just take a stylus and poke holes. You got to be regulated. You got to be, you know, uh, put onto a frame or a system so that you can make your letters. That's the slate. And the stylus, of course, is the point. Remember the stylus on your record player. It's a, it's a needle. Well, in the case of a Braille stylus, it's not that sharp, but it is. it does come to a point. The first Brailler, Braille writing machine, was invented and uh, brought out by the head of the School for the Blind in uh, Illinois, Frank Hall. Paul is a name you'll hear many times if you go through the history of the 20th century and blindness. He made a brailler, and let's face it, as much as we may love our slates and styluses, the if we only had slates and styluses, somebody would dream up a way to press a key or a combination of keys and get a braille cell, not have to write it dot by dot. I mean, the letter Q takes five pushes with a stylus, whereas the letter Q on a Braille writer takes one push of five keys. Much more efficient. But the Braille writers that we had in the early days were very, very different from where the Perkins Brailler would take us. Um. A word about that. Back in the in the 20th century, remember way back then, there were brailers that uh, were made in the name of Frank Hall. So there was the Hall, there was the New Hall, and the New New Hall. And they were distributed ultimately by the American Printing House for the Blind under its federal quota system so when i was in school in the 50s uh, we didn't really have enough brailers so that all of us could have one all day long we had to wait our turn a lot of times so of course we all used slates and styluses it was not something you debated it was not something you worried over you just did it i think we were doing it by the second grade um and we would carry uh pocket slates around in the fourth grade our teacher was into what they called a board slate it was a slate with four lines 
but it was mounted on a board and you slid it down to make the next four lines and the next four lines. It was a very, very nice product, but of course it lacked portability. It was mounted on a wooden uh, board with a clamp at the top that would hold your paper. The more portable slates that we would carry around in our pockets were made of nickel-coated brass or eventually aluminum. They would hold the paper with the four pins on the bottom piece and then a hinged piece that would come down, close, mark the spot so that you could move the slate down after you wrote your four lines. The standard slate has 28 cells. It has a very clever thing, too. Every fifth dot on the top of the slate has a little locator dot. So 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, there are these dots, and it, they act kind of like tabs. There's three more after the last 25th locator. It makes it possible to do math. It makes it possible to uh, make columns. Of course, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper doesn't allow for a whole lot of columns. It's pretty narrow and Braille takes up a fair amount of space. But still, they it, it enabled you to not have to count. Let's see, I got to count 13 cells and then start writing. So I So my equal signs are all lined up or anything like that. So slates were clever. They were well thought out. And um, even though they were incremental in the way we wrote, we certainly used them. But now I want to get back to Braille writers for a minute, and then we'll talk a little bit more about slates. The Hall Braille writers were very simple. And the interesting thing historically is they were made on the, with the same drive principles as typewriters. Now, some of you young folks may say, typewriters, I've heard of such a thing. Typewriters were mechanical writing devices, and they worked like this. You, the uh, typing element, the place where the ink hit the paper, stayed stationary. The paper moved, not the typing element. That was true of the early Hall Braille writers. The brailing element, the six pins that would be poked up when you pressed keys, were stationary. It was the paper that moved, and the paper was wrapped around a rolling pin. And I mean, you guys, it really did look like it. It was made of wood, and it had knobs at both ends, and you would go to the next line by reaching over and grabbing this knob and turning it. There was no button to push to advance the line. You just, you did it physically. You put the paper in, in much the same way you do in the, the Perkins Brailler, only this time in the old days, it, it had to actually puncture the bottom of the paper with a kind of a blade that came across with pins that would cause the paper to be grabbed and held onto. It was not a, a foolproof system by any means. But it was crucial because if you rolled your paper in crooked, 
it could really cause problems. There was no right margin. Mull that over for a moment. No right margin. You could theoretically, no, not theoretically, you could write right off the edge of your paper accidentally and go, oh no, there was a little bell that would go ding as you approach the end of the line. But maybe you weren't listening or maybe the bell was messed up and it didn't work. It was just a little mechanical thing after all. The Brailler was like a typewriter. It was driven by some kind of belt. Uh, in the case of the Brailler, you kind of wound a, a, a spring-loaded wheel. It was attached to a fabric belt that was attached to the underside of the carriage. And as you wrote, you were, in a sense, under the control of that spring, and it would allow you to move by exact increments, ka-chunk, 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 as you went across the page. They were noisy, and the harder you press the keys, the better the dot. By the way, that was solved by the Perkins Brailler, as were many other problems. These things were made of uh, cast iron. They were heavy, but then there wasn't all that much structure to them either. They may mo mostly had a big footprint so that you could, so that this moving carriage, which was kind of heavy, uh, wouldn't actually cause the Brailler to turn or pivot in place. Okay, so APH distributed Hall Brailers to the nation. and um, But there were other companies. The L.C. Smith, which was the same Smith as Smith Corona, made typewriters. They had a go at making a, a Brailler, and it was chain-driven, and it, had, uh, it was heavy and, again, had the big rolling pin uh, that you wound the paper on. They also had a, 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 a lever to move the cartridge, just like a typewriter. So you would reach up, grab this thing, and push it to the right. And not only did it uh, not only did it move the carriage for you, but it also advanced you one line. It was a neat idea, but it wasn't executed particularly well. The dots weren't that great. When you went to throw the cartridge, you tended to spin the brailler in place even though it had rubber feet that roller was just too big you know the lever principle <laughs> was such that it 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 just was not a stable uh platform well but uh we didn't see a perkins brailler until i was in the fourth grade which would have been about 1955 and then it sat on the teacher's desk why well the the hall brailers came to our school for about forty dollars 45 dollars probably less before the 50s the perkins cost about 300 dollars you know six times more more than six times more than the price of a hall so it sat on the teacher's desk, but we were all fascinated by it because it really seemed modern. And I'd like to say something about the 
Perkins Brailler. Many of you may take it for granted. You may say, yeah, well, we all use Perkins Brailler. It's no big deal. Well, it was a big deal. In fact, I have to tell you, for all the innovation and all the things that have happened in all the years since the 1950s, how many machines can we think of that are exactly the same now as they ever were? Why? because there really weren't that many improvements you needed to make. Oh, it would have been great if modern Perkins Brailers had word processing capability and, you know, they were actually printers and you could write your document in memory and then just hit a button and it would uh, write on eight and a half by 11 or 11 by 11 and a half. But as far as under the hood, the Perkins Brailler is a wonderful machine. It, it's, it's heavy. It has to be. You know, it's puncturing very heavy-duty paper. So it's got to be a solid footing. It You get as good a dot if you hit it lightly as if you hit it heavy. You know, the keystroke is damped in such a way that the the pins uh, don't require you to really hit it hard the way the uh, hall did. It has the typing element is what moves. That's a nice thing. No rolling pin anymore. There is a roller, but it's uh, made of rods uh, with lots of space between. So it doesn't have um, that moving carriage. It has a line advance button and a backspace button. And uh, the gripping of the paper at the bottom is better. Not great, but it's better. And it has a right-hand margin. And don't take this for granted. It has a gnarled uh, pinch roller above the paper that enables you to roll your paper back in, even though it has Braille on it, without crushing the dots. For those of us who use computers all the time, these may seem like awfully, you know, modest things. They are not modest. That Those changes were significant. Just having a right margin, just being able to set margins was a huge advance. Anyway, want to talk a little bit more about slates. There are lots of different ones. The standard slate has, as I said, 28 cells. It has four lines. It can be made of nickel-coated brass. They're heavy. They used to put holes in our pockets carrying them around then came an aluminum slate which was lighter and then plastic slates that were cheaper and nfb made a, a really nice plastic slate with a real hinge and good points pins to hold the paper um so i'm sitting here within arm's length of all three of those <laughs> slates 
I don't exactly collect them, but over the years, you do have a tendency to acquire them. I have a a slate from Germany that enables you to write on both sides of a five by eight card. That's pretty neat. I have a Janus slate, which is sold by APH, that enables you to flip it over and write on the back. It interlines. That's pretty good. It takes three by five cards. But I've seen uh, check writing slates, and I've seen postcard writing slates that don't have hinges. You just you just shove a, a uh, uh, your paper in there. And uh, oh gosh, I saw a slate that was designed to uh, write on um, cassettes to make labels for cassettes. Many different kinds of slates. I have a full page slate here, comes from India, and it uh, will even interline. It's a little clumsy setting it up to do it, but I'll bet you in India where the kids may use these things all the time, they get used to it. And uh, the clumsiness of it is probably mitigated by their just doing it all the time. And now I'd like to just say a quick word about the the business of that we've always heard all our life if we've used slates that we we was, must really be smart because we have to write backwards. Well, when you're a kid and somebody says this is how you do this, a lot of times you really don't say, "Wait a minute, I'm writing backwards. This must be confusing. I must be having a trauma right now." No. If a kid, if you say to a kid, this is how you do it, a kid says, okay, this is how you do it. So along comes a read and write slate from India. Now it's, it's called a slate, but you still roll paper into it and you do not write backwards. You write from left to right. How that is achieved is that instead of your stylus being a point, it's a negative. It's a hole in the end of the stylus. The point part is mounted in the machine. So when you push down with this hollow point, you cause the point that's on the machine to puncture the paper. Therefore, dots one, two, three are on the left side of the cell just like they would be on a braille writer. Now you might say, gosh, if I've used a slate all my life, if I tried to use that, I think it would blow my mind. Well, I have one here. And actually it's amazing how quickly we adapt to it. Um, if you ever get a chance to check one out, it costs like $50. It, it's uh, not something that people are just gonna do for the heck of it. And here's another strange thing. The, pap the paper it needs has to be slightly narrower than our standard eight and a half by 11 paper. So we don't have a lot of paper lying around ready to be rolled into this thing. Nonetheless, it exists and it's fun to use. And um, 
if you ever get a chance, uh, check it out. Um, we still carry our slates around. I always have a Janus slate in my backpack. I have another one sitting here on my desk. I have slates all over the place because they are quick and easy, quick and handy. I also have a Perkins Brailler. There was a time when individuals just simply did not own them. And if they did, maybe they got some Lions Club in their town to get them one. APH couldn't send them out to the schools until they did this very clever thing. Under the quota, under the federal act that created APH, is a requirement that they will manufacture and distribute materials to students, and they can be adults, but uh, but when they do, those those items can only be obtained through APH. It's a it's a way of um, allowing this exclusive uh, contract with what is essentially a private organization. So you have to you have to make the thing in order to sell it on federal quota. How press? makes the Perkins Brailler, as we know. It was the brainchild of a man named David Abraham, and it came out in 1951, even if I didn't get to see one until 1955. So what they did is they, they, they would send the Brailler disassembled to APH, and APH would assemble it. And therefore, they could say they put it together and therefore, a little loophole was was managed, and they could now get it out to the kids in the country on federal quota. Yay. So this much more expensive brailer became ubiquitous to the point where now, you know, they are the brailer that everyone knows. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Got my... Okay. So All I right, I know you're... I know we're 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 running short on time, so let me talk a little bit about the East Bay Center. Is that yes. okay, Valine? Go ahead. Yes, yeah, sure. Perfect. Okay. The East Bay Center for the Blind is something that many of you in this nation might think, wow, what a what a great idea. It is owned and it is operated by blind people. So Let in other your, words, my, uh, all members of the board are blind. Yeah, yeah, and mm -hmm. and it's uh, it's an unusual concept when you think of agencies for the blind. They they're never owned and operated by blind people. The NFB and the ACB are, but not agencies for the blind. Well, okay. So the the good news is we're owned and operated by blind people. We own our building. We are a place so that the blind community can make of us whatever it wishes. If it wants to become a study center, if it wants to become a think tank, if it wants to become a place to just hang out, if it wants to be a party place, it can be any of those things, and oftentimes it is. We have a science project that goes on there. Dr. Josh Mealy uh, comes in and 
teaches a, a class in Arduinos, which are uh, computer chips. And we have Braille classes and technology classes. Yes, we have that. We have a speaker series and a book club. One of our proudest achievements is that we are associated with I Love Braille. And also, we are the sponsor of a work-at-home, if you will, correspondence-type course. Yeah, learn-at-home. Learn-at-home, uh-huh. Learn-at-home Braille, yeah. In Braille. And uh, we're, we're <laughs> gathering students as we speak. They, the word has gotten out, and I think uh, it's going to be a big help. Uh, supplementing whatever else, whatever other Braille instructional opportunities people have in the country. So we are proud to be involved with it. We hope that we are promoting Braille and promoting the reading and writing of Braille. And we hope to, you know, make it seem like the normal thing that it should be. We should all be able to use Braille, whether we're totally blind or whether we have reduced vision. Because, you know, most of the people that we know who have low vision could still benefit from Braille. Whether or not they read books, well, that's fine, but it's not essential. The fact that folks could have a reading and writing system is what matters. So, um, I think at this point, we're usually turning things back over to you to uh, talk and ask questions, and I'll be here with you till the end. So, Valine, that's yes. uh, pretty much what I wanted to cover today. Great. It's a great coverage. Thank you so much, Mike. And a couple of things for uh, some people who are new to Braille or new to this system. Uh NFB is a National Federation of the Blind, and ACB is, of course, American Council of the Blind, and they are both blind consumers' organizations. Another uh, thing that I would like to just specify a little more, uh, Mike mentioned about 8.5 by 11 and 11.5 by uh, 11. Those are the paper sizes that you can use while writing Braille. Okay, so with that... Uh, I would like to add that, Mike, as I mentioned, there may be some other people joining from other countries, and we have Divya Bijur joining us from India. So now it is really international. With that, I would request the participants to raise your hands and ask questions when our president, Michael Cole, is here. Okay, for now, we have three raised hands. Okay. Um, and first up is Dawn. Followed by Beth. All right, Don Bilpuch. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, yes, go give ahead. Give me a second to get unmuted. Um, yeah, unmuted, so, yes. Uh, I have a question about your guys' uh, classes. So, did mm -hmm. I hear correctly in saying that the stuff like the book club and then computer chips and everything else that you guys have besides the at-home braille learning am i correct in hearing that it that it's all virtual or is it all in person or is it hybrid i can't 
Some some things are not. hybrid. Some things are not. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what things are hybrid or virtual? And well, for example, uh, we have a support group, and it's kind of handy, especially for people who have who have experienced vision loss, and that's a hybrid. Um, but if you come to the East Bay Center for the Blind, so that Valine will teach you Braille, then you physically come there. And uh, or if you come so that our computer teacher teaches you about your iPhone, she will do it uh, uh, with with uh, over the phone or or Zoom. But uh, of course, it's sometimes really nice if you're physically present. Um, yeah. We played bingo yesterday and that was live of course we have a exercise oh. class um and it's it's uh, a hybrid uh though it's okay it's best done if you're physically you know it, it's kind of logical how how that works yeah and i would like to add another feature about hybrid uh, Learn It Braille Home program is now going to have a Zoom meeting for the students who are learning Braille with us and uh, or elsewhere also. So we are starting this on September the 15th, Friday, and we will meet every week on Fridays at 9 a.m. California time, Pacific time, of course. So that's kind of in between, it's sort of in-person and still it's not in-person learning Braille because we are still meeting via Zoom, but we are able to communicate, we are able to talk, ask questions, answer questions, give uh, tips and uh, uh, express uh, concerns or difficulties or challenges that students are encountering and things like that. So that's yet another fe- hybrid feature of teaching Braille. All right. So okay. is that good, Don? We can move to the next yeah. participant. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, we have five hands raised now, and Beth is up next, followed by Linda Pye. Yes, Beth. Yeah, j- just... Now, I was going to... Uh, by the way, I, <laughs> those typewriters, those Smith Coronas, that was my first um, actual typewriter Um it was in the like the mid eighties. I learned how to type. I was twelve, but anyway, um, I wanted to ask you about the stylus. Um, like, um, you said they were kind of like heavy. I know you said the slate was they were pointed, but but they aren't like they weren't the little ones like today because the little ones kind of feel like a braille eraser, only they're pointed at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's many, you know, when, when seeing as APH was the main maker of, of slates and styluses, you know, there's one company that you basically saw a, a particular design and mm-hmm. the, the, the stylus is, has a classic look to it. Traditionally, they've been wooden with a, a fairly long point. There was a little kid's version and then there was a an adult version, if you will. They've messed around with the points. They've been. A, I've seen it as more like a wire, where it's the same diameter all the way. It 
down its length. I've seen it where it tapers. There was a thing called a tuck-away stylus that you could unscrew the tip and turn it around and screw it back in. Um, and uh, people liked those because, you know, they didn't have this pointy thing in their pocket. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't a great, it was a neat idea. The execution of it wasn't so hot because while you wrote with the thing, it had a tendency to loosen unscrew oh. itself if they had just threaded it backwards that wouldn't have happened but then again as a manufacturing process you know that's probably difficult so um there have been many different st oh, there's a stylus oh you guys there's a stylus that looks like a pen looks like a writing pen and they said that well a lot of times when people are new to blindness they they like that because it reminds them that it feels natural to them to use it well, maybe so, but you're not pushing down from the top, so you don't get the leverage. It's not an easy stylus to use, um, I don't think. No. Now Pro we have these uh, the, these saddle styluses that, that uh, you know, they messed around with the design a little bit, and sometimes they're made of a really good industrial strength plastic. Mm -hmm. Not the pin, not the point. It's still metal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know I was going to say about the brailler, the Perkins brailler, that, that the knobs now are, are a little bit different. You know how the knobs were kind of ridgy, little ridges like that you rolled the paper in and out? Um, yes. The knobs are, are different. Yeah. Um, wonder wonder uh, why they did that, if maybe a different design, just to, like a different design i think the ergonomics okay. of it came along so that they, they involved they included more people so that it, if you had limited uh dexterity the, oh, okay. the, some of the new ones have uh oh gosh it isn't even round it, it it's so that you can grip it in different ways yeah it, it's an ergonomic thing Oh, okay. Yeah, they're all different kinds. Okay, great. Uh, we have five more hands up, or maybe six by now, and uh, we have like 10 minutes. We may extend it by another five or 10 minutes if Mike has time. I know Mike has to then now uh, run down to the center. He's talking, us, talking to us from home. Uh, so anyway, okay. Who is the next one? Linda? Next up is Linda. Paladino. Linda Pye. Yes. Michael Cole, thank you so very, very much. That was absolutely fascinating about the hall brailler. I had never heard of that. And it was just your explanation was absolutely wonderful. My question is, what what was the time frame that um, the APH finally decided to embrace Braille? I'm very, very curious to know how long it took them to see the light, as it were. Well, APH and the whole America <laughs> didn't really embrace Braille until, wasn't it something like 1923? Yeah, almost, yeah. And, 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 that and, late. and, and, and I mean, well, and, APH was formed in what, 1858 or something? Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a little tricky. 1858 yeah. was when Kentucky had it. It okay. was after the Civil War that the nation uh -huh. said, you know, I guess we're going to educate these blind people. So where where do we, you know, 
put the uh, repository of all the stuff mm -hmm. and they said, mm -hmm. well, you know, Kentucky's already doing it. So they said, okay, okay, Kentucky, you get the contract. And that was maybe around 1870. So mm -hmm. every year they have an annual meeting where they show mm -hmm. their new products and they have a board of ex officio trustees who votes to accept or not the uh, the the year's offering. I know this, you guys, because I was the head of the orientation center for the blind here in California. And as yeah. such, I was considered the head of a school for the blind. So I was an ex officio trustee. And that was really fun because we got to go there and see all the new stuff. Um I don't think they usually vote against anything. APH does very fine uh, market research. They're pretty sure when they develop something that it's going to be good. And they do have a really neat stuff for kids. Braille has been accepted in the United States then for only 100 years. Well, it was being used, <laughs> but yeah, fully accepted so that... Yeah. Library of Congress would establish standards and all that. Yeah, no, oh, we were Johnny Come right. Officially uh, accepted, yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. Thank Mike. you. Yeah, okay. Well, Mike knows so much history and what a vocabulary he has to explain braille devices. I couldn't have done it. Okay, we go to next. Um, next up is Nora, followed by Louise. Yeah, hi, great. Good morning, good afternoon. And um, my question is, one giga perkin, first of all, one giga perkin boiler, typewriter boiler ever invented? Well, this man named David Abraham was the woodshop teacher at Perkins. Mm -hmm. But he was a very clever fellow who was forever tinkering and making things. I think he was working on the Perkins in the 40s, actually. Yes. But they but they brought it out in, in 1951. And um, it, it was controversial because they knew it would be expensive. And, you know, they'd been living with a pretty basic, simple machine. Um, so it came out and... Uh, it really did revolutionize how Braille was done by individuals. One real quick thing I, I can't help but tell you. In, I think, the uh, 70s, it could have been 80s, uh, Maryland Computer Systems took a Perkins Brailler, so stick with me here, and they took the bottom off, and they developed a, a device that would read the keystrokes and convert them into digital information so that it became uh, a, uh, a a printer, an embosser. Isn't that weird? And it was slow, yeah. of course, and you know it had disadvantages because when the paper would run out, you'd have to stop and put another one in and all that. But you know, typewriters were like that too. They had word processing typewriters finally in the eighties that um you would write your you would write this thing into memory and then it would it would print it. Uh <laughs> it was really strange to see this Perkins mounted on a, what looked like a butcher block, and <laughs> underneath there was the was the digital uh ability to uh convert the keystrokes into into actual uh data 
that's what I did. I got a library back in the 80s. I was on the computer, like a, uh, and I have not IBM, but we call it Apple computer. And I type some words, and then I push certain buttons, and it would translate it to Braille on the Braille machine in the library. Uh huh. That's what, that was interesting. And thank you so much for your wonderful Thank you, Nora. And we move Love to it. next. And we are now flying to Brazil. The next voice will come from Luis in Brazil. Yes, and that will be followed by Eric. Okay. Yes. Okay. Can you oh, hear yes. me? Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, Michael, uh -huh. I am very very glad to to talk to you today. Um, very good presentation. Thank you. I would like uh, I would like to know. Uh, can you tell tell us? something about the braille display for example the focus distribu distributed by um, freedom scientific is this equipment really useful for us what do you think well <laughs> thank you for the, your question and it's wonderful to hear from you um thank you let's see the braille display now if you've not had the pleasure of using a braille display i hope you get that chance because they are really nice um but of course for the most part they only give you one line at a time so you read a line and then you punch a button and then read the next line and so on yes line but what line. but you know they but it's instant braille you don't have to wait around for somebody to braille it and then proofread it and then distribute it it's it's immediate because it actually uh, the screen reader actually <clears throat> creates the Braille, knows about UEB, knows about uh, contractions, you yes. know, and the, the Braille that comes up is uh, should be uniform. Of course, Braille displays are mechanical devices and they do mess up sometimes. And you don't always, <laughs> it's really a drag when you don't, when yeah. you know that there should be a dot there, but it's not there. Yes. You think about it, if that were mathematical or something where the dot really mattered, it could, it could mess you up because it yeah. could uh, give you uh, false yeah. information. Well, but the good far outweighs the inconvenient, I'll tell you. So, yes, focus. Listen to this. In America these days, our um, national let's see, library, sorry. library yeah. service yes. is distributing Braille displays to citizens who request them. Now, it's only 20 cells. Okay. The focus can be 40. And it's uh, made uh, by, well, there's two different ones. The one I have is made by Humanware, but it's distributed. Um, actually, it looks just like uh, a one that's distributed by APH called the Chameleon. Anyway, it's a Braille display. And the good, this is a bittersweet thing, my friends, because... What's nice about it is that it's a Braille display that you could have for your use. You don't even have to own it. In fact, when you, it breaks, you can send it in, right? Because you don't own it. They do. So they'll fix it and so on. So that's good. Um, and it works with various platforms. Not everything, but it does. it's pretty good. You can do a lot of reading with it. 
Um, but the bitter, the sad part is that part of why this is happening is because there's a push to eliminate hard copy Braille. Because, ah, okay. and, and someday hard copy Braille is going to become harder and harder to produce or get. And yes. that's too bad because at the same time that's happening, Duxbury and the various translating programs have made Braille easier to get. Um, mm. So I think for now, at least we have both, but I see down the road that Braille displays are going to become more normal, more Mm -hmm. more something that everyone knows okay. yeah. Um, yeah and yeah. as of now they are very expensive particularly yeah. for people from other countries uh, they really, as I am they not... really are even even though yes. the orbit yeah. and some of those have brought the price way down it's still expensive yeah. it is uh, as i am not yeah. american yeah. citizen right i try to get it in brazil but it's so expensive for us it is yes, yes. it really yeah. is you're right that's I didn't get thank, a Braille thank you, Louis. I didn't okay. get a Braille display uh, until I I was near retirement age. Honestly, uh, okay. they're too expensive. I, I, you know what? In Europe, though, they're much more common, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and the rehab system there uh, routinely, I'm told, buys Braille displays for people. Uh, okay. Okay, great. Michael, we'll thank, you. thank you very much. Thank uh, you. Thank you, Louis. I just sure. want to let you know that we're one minute after the hour. Uh -huh. um, and next up is Eric, followed yeah. by Deborah. All right. Good morning, Mike. Good to hear your voice. Um, I was wondering, as a beginner Braille reader or user, where would I get the stuff for beginning to learn Braille? And just curious, the machine that a stenographer uses in a court reporting uh, job, is that similar to Braille? Well, it is in the sense that they use a kind of shorthand and there are those who would say that our contractions in Braille is equivalent to a, a, a kind of shorthand. It is because it actually combines things and consolidates them so that you don't have to write, uh, make the books even bigger. Uh, Eric uh, is a friend of, of mine. He's here in Northern California. And oh. uh, you know, Eric, you might really enjoy our our course um you can do it at home you can do it at your own pace there's That's you know if, if you have trouble it's not like uh professor shaw is going to get all mad at you or anything <laughs> and uh you can you can kind of take it slow uh i would recommend our our course to you i think you would enjoy it how and it's, and oh and, and and eric it's free by the way <laughs> now, where do i where do you sign up and how do you get the equipment for it for me and the other ones on the call well you just call us at the east bay center for the blind can i give the phone number valine let um, me get yes, the phone number you sure you can yeah it's area code 510-843-6935 um, 
I don't expect everyone to have written that down, but uh, through this program, you can always get that phone number. Um, and that. Eric, you can also apply online with somebody's help or, you know, without whatever you can. You're on speed That's dial. It's the easiest way. Yeah. I already have y'all on speed dial. You're and I have two DAVs. Eastbase, AFD, all of you are already in a registry for uh, some other plans down the road. Mike knows about it. So Great. So Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Okay. Thank you for okay. coming. We'll quickly take two more questions. Hands and okay. then we will. Our last two hands are Debra from Canada. Yes. yes. First and of all, then... what I want to say yes. uh, to yes. Eric is that you can also get into the calls of uh, the Braille Room, which happen on uh, Saturday and Sunday night, sometimes some weeknights. I'm sure uh, Dorlin would, uh, you know, would, uh, and, and a lot of us would um, be able to men mentor you and uh, and help you out. So you can. Hey, you now can also there's a that. deal. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the uh, and weekend braille together. We um, we do a lot of uh, mentoring that way as well. The other thing I was going to mention about the slate uh, writing is I find that um, you know the the ergonomics of the slate writing, your positioning uh, in your your desk chair and the way you write is so important because if you're writing on a desk that is um, a little bit uh, above, say, uh, a waist level, it's hard to push down on a, a slate uh, without uh, injuring with uh, like a long, uh, doing it for a long years and years and years without uh, shoulder uh, injuries. So what I would recommend is that if you could sit at a, you know, at a table that is say um, waist height, that way you get better uh, leverage, better hand positioning uh, to, uh, to use the slate. And the other thing too, I find is if you're writing on the go, it's hard to hold the, the slate you know, against your, uh, against your stomach, because if you're, if somebody gives you information and you have no choice, but to do it promptly, um, it, it's very, very difficult to, um, you know, to, to write on a, a slate when you have say like a, a round yeah. tummy like myself, because you can't get the, it really needs to be flat, you know? Yeah. So I wonder Same. if, you had but, any recommendations for that? Well, same thing with writing on your lap. It's it's really yeah, not easy to not easy yeah. to do. So yeah, and then too, if you're in a meeting, and you, I was in a meeting one time. It was a training session, and we had to be quiet. And I was trying to write notes, and it was on a hollow plastic table, and it was on a table, all right, but it just mm. sounded like uh, gunfire, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt really bad yeah. because I was making a lot of racket, and I had to kind of stop at a certain point. But um, mm. now there are things people do about that. They'll write on thermoform paper or something because it's quieter. The plastic yeah. slates tend to be quieter than the metal ones, but yeah. it's, it's still... You're right. You're absolutely right. You, you need a good writing surface. That's true. Yeah, you do. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Deborah. We move to the next. Uh, Lori? Hi. 
Um, thank you, Mike and Zeline, both. Um, <laughs> thank you. I, I just wanted to comment that um, mm -hmm. in 1962, when I was attending the School for the Blind, we went over to UC Berkeley, and they had a huge, huge computer. I, I think the computer would, would be the size of the main room at the East Bay Center, and it was connected <laughs> yeah. to a tiny little <laughs> Braille writer, and they were showing us how they could write Braille from the computer, and we just watched the put our hands on the braille writer and the keys went up and down and it was connected to this thing the size of a room wow. so anyway wow. that's one of my memories thank you uh, thank you for sharing wonderful thank you okay that's All our right. friend Lori kastner everyone <laughs> yeah. yep thank you and she's the ex-board member of east bay center for the blind but she's still active of course with us thank you Lori. and with that we are reaching the end of this session. Hope everybody enjoyed. Feel free to write your feedback at shah, S-H-A-H, -H, at eastwestcenterforblind.org. With that, uh, I thank you, Mike, so much for giving his precious time and explain to us various Braille devices and also talking about the East Bay Center for the Blind. So with that, I wish you all good week ahead and good weekend. People have started leaving because we went one hour over the hour. So that's fine. See you all next Thursday. Bye now.